off the ball. And Munster are failing at that detail. It's not the big picture that's killing them. It's it's the minutia, the detail that's taking them apart. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Whatever you grow, we'll save for bro. Samuel Luckhurst is with us this morning. Samuel, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, most of the rest of the football world was watching um, Liverpool and Manchester City, and so not a lot of people will have seen <clears throat> the Manchester United performance against Newcastle. Uh, minor controversy when Ronaldo gets substituted off and is um, having a bit of a strop. But that aside, what was the quality of the performance like for Manchester United? It was a backward step yesterday. They they started reasonably brightly, but once Newcastle got settled in, um, it, it was difficult for United to to break them down. Without Christian Eriksen, they do struggle for a solution against teams who sit in a low block, who have a very um, obvious game plan, a, a tried and tested game plan at Old Trafford, but one that is likelier to succeed these days because United is still trying to transition to this style that Ten Hag wants to implement. But after looking pretty good in the first half against Everton uh, eight days ago, yesterday was 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 a massive backward step in that Newcastle were the better side in the first half and they didn't do anything extraordinary, but they were just more competitive, they're more intense too many individuals in, in a red shirt just didn't turn up. Uh, it was slightly better in the second half. Newcastle did tire, uh, which is predictable, but United still didn't fashion enough clear openings. It was only in the last five or seven minutes, really, where you had that opportunity for Fred from uh, the square ball from from Rashford. And then, of course, Rashford's header that, that went wide in the 95th minute. But it would have been flashing on United had they had, had they got a win yesterday because Newcastle were well, dis- well worthy of a point really does underline the importance of Christian Eriksen to the side because, listen, Casemiro is obviously a world-class talent at what he does, but his job is getting the ball to more talented players. Likewise with Fred, it's keep it simple. You don't want him trying too much. Give it to the more talented players. Or have an Eriksen in that deeper role who can play that 40-yard, 50-yard pass, who can cut one through the middle quickly to Fernandez or Rashford. It changes the dynamic of that United team completely. Like, there's very... F- Trying to think of the top teams who have two holding midfielders. There's very few of them who need to play two holding midfielders. He's the only lock picker in that squad, Ericsson. And for all the record investment in the summer, it's it's the freebie who has, has really underlined his importance. And, and yesterday was the first time that he didn't start in the Premier League. He, he wasn't even in the squad at all because he was unwell. So that restricted... Ten Hag's game-changing options. Rashford was the only player who came on. He only didn't start because he was he was feeling under the weather as well. In Ten Hag's words, the the two midfielders United had to possibly change the game were never ever going to come on. Uh, in, in, in Zidane, Iqbal, and and Kobe Mainu, both those players were in a Premier League squad for the first time yesterday. Mainu is only seventeen. He looks a very good talent. He's possibly the most uh, polished player of that Youth Cup winning side from last season. But he was starting for the under-21s against Chelsea at King's Meadow on Saturday. Iqbal is a tidy player, but he's he's not been particularly tested beyond some pre-season games. So one or two injuries or one, one or two absences from midfield, and they're very light there. And already it's becoming clear... Um, I mean, the clocks haven't even gone back yet. But as far as that next block of their rebuild, the squad rebuild goes at United, you have to say that they're going to need another midfielder there, which, of course, will 
um, restart the Frankie de Jong talk again, particularly given um, the, the dire week Barcelona have just had and it looks like they're not going to qualify for the Champions League knockout stage as well. And, and de Jong is still not getting um, enough playing time under Xavi. But they do need someone of de Jong's profile because Ericsson is 30 Everybody knows what happened in Copenhagen last year. I think that's been an issue that United have uh, addressed over the last week in terms of benching him against Ammonia. But they still needed to bring him on in that game because, again, beyond him being the only lot picker in the team or in the squad, they do not have enough reliable goal scorers either. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> you know it was it was a good window in the end in terms of getting players in who will be first team players and who can make a significant difference to the team but it it really was uh, a, a rehabilitative piece of work that was the beginning of a process as opposed to the end of a process it, the game yesterday is a good opportunity to kind of gauge where they are versus the other teams who are probably in the hunt or just behind the teams who are feeling very strongly about finishing the top four like do Manchester United need to be winning these games at this stage against the Newcastles of the world to try and quell the fact that Newcastle are going to get a lot of confidence and they could go on a run and easily pip them to top four? I still think that it, that's too premature for Newcastle. Yesterday, really, they, they were too reticent in the second half. I think if they're playing like that next season, then there'll be question marks asked of of their ambition and, and, and of Eddie Howe, really. At this stage, I think, obviously, they're going to take a point. But the way they approached it, they're they probably less adventurous than they were at Anfield, um, however long ago that was earlier in the season when, when Liverpool won with, with almost the last kick of the game and Newcastle bungled a couple of opportunities on the breakaway just before them. They, they weren't as adventurous yesterday in the second half. They were in the first half. They had some gumption about themselves. But also in terms of the point of United really needed to win that game, Newcastle had some key players absent as well. Uh, Isaac, who's looked a, a very good signing and, and has potential to, to lead the line for them for a long time. He wasn't playing. Willock's been an important player for them in midfield. He wasn't starting either. So when you still look at that Newcastle team, it's a team that United should should be aiming to beat. And th- this this period of games was always going to be a good gauge of United in that they've, of course, got Tottenham on, at home on Wednesday and then Chelsea on Saturday. So within a, a six or seven day period, they've got three huge games. They've played one, um, not scored in it. And last week with those two home games, the only goal they did get was a 93rd minute uh, from Scott McTominay against Ammonia uh, in, in the Europa League. So th- I think these concerns... They've, they've not just sort of for some come to light in pre-season. You looked at the investment in that squad, but you still looked at it and thought that they're hanging their hats on certain players to get goals or come good when you can't be certain of their reliability. Anthony is a case in point in that they've spent an obscene amount of money on a player who, watching him yesterday as well, um, he's not particularly quick. He was up against Dan Byrne, who's a good, you know, solid Premier League defender, He's a centre back and he's playing at left back, and he wasn't getting outpaced by Anthony. And he's also painfully one footed um, to the point that it's all, already apparent that defenders know how to how to play him. It's just get him onto his right foot, and then he's extremely limited. And Ten Hag has said about how he needs to show variations, and maybe that will come in, in time and he will develop. But this is a player that United have spent, as I said, £85 million on. You're going to need some instant impacts, and fair enough to him. He's he's got the goals, but even on his debut, 
although you can't be too critical at that point, there were aspects of his game where you saw it and you thought that's going to take time to uh, you know, to knock into shape because as, as as much as he has been scoring and he's got a decent record, of course, in the Premier League of, of three goals in four games, it has been masking his performance level, which has just not been high enough. It's It's been too erratic. Uh, Ronaldo wasn't particularly pleased to come off and probably less pleased when he saw Marcus Rashford miss a couple of opportunities that he would have certainly backed himself to take. Uh, it's always a big story when Ronaldo's taken off, particularly when it's the only substitution and he's maybe thrown the arms around a bit. Uh, his overall performance levels, considering he got that start, like does he deserve to be in the team for games of this stature against teams of the quality of Newcastle? This is the other issue United have in the they look a lot much better side and a more complete side up front when Anthony Marshall is starting and he started one Premier League game in the last year for them. Their attack revolved around Marshall in pre-season. He played well. Pre-season can be meaningless, but they had continuity with him, Sancho and Rashford playing. Marshall got injured a week before the season started and it really has compromised the fluidity of that attack and how Ten Hag has um, has managed it as well. You, it's easy to forget the first weekend of the season. Christian Eriksen was effectively playing up front in a in a strikeless formation, and Ronaldo was on the bench. Ronaldo was really poor yesterday. He was more of a hindrance than a help. He was dropping too deep. Um, I, I wonder if he's consciously doing that to try and show that he can be a flexible forward, and that this talk of him being too rigid and being a bit of an obstacle to how United want to play—that's him railing against it. The, the other way of looking at it is that he's dropping so deep because every time he was further forward, he was always offside. Uh, and this is another issue in that old father time is catching up with him and he is always looking to be ahead of the last defender. There were times yesterday where Newcastle could have easily had um, or, or easily played offside against Ronaldo, against United's counter-attacks. They didn't consciously do it and he would still end up offside. I think it was towards the end of the first half, Anthony put a cross in that was overhit, but Ronaldo, he wasn't getting to it. He yeah. wasn't flagged offside, but he was offside. And so, you know, Marshall was, was missing again yesterday. He has become injury prone. Again, United are, are hanging their hats there on someone who, as I said, has only started one Premier League game uh, in the last year for them. That lasted 29 minutes at Everton just over a week ago. And, is he a reliable goal scorer? You cannot say that for certain no. whatsoever. And, and Marshall turns 27 in December. Uh, <clears throat> Anthony Ryan, one of our, our listeners, wants to know, can you ask Samuel why Facundra Palestri isn't uh, getting off Manchester United? He's a Uruguay international. This is the 20-year-old. Uh, he's on the bench yesterday, but never a hint of him really getting any game time, is there? No. Uh, one of the strangest signings uh, they've made in recent years, and they've, they've got form for doing that. I think it's something like, it's two years and 11 days I think I clocked it yesterday since he signed and he has still not had a competitive kick he's been on the bench a, a bunch of times but I, I always think it's a red flag when you sign a player and then you loan him out to an overseas league and Plestri is, is a Spanish speaker so they put him to, to, to Alaves in, in La Liga for a couple of different loan spells but when you're doing that it's almost as if you're assimilating to a different league and La Liga is a markedly different league from the Premier League and there was there was merit in actually putting him on yesterday because Anthony was too uh, one dimensional they probably needed a more direct winger uh, it, it was worth going with a wild card option but he was someone who was signed on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's watch on a very 
haphazard deadline day that's not aged well whatsoever in that United signed Cavani uh, very opportunistically. He picked and choose when he played. They signed Alex Tellez, who peaked on his debut and was was pretty worthless for the majority of his time thereafter. And then they invested £46 million in Palestri and Ahmad Diallo, who's now on loan at Sunderland. So I, 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 it's, it's difficult to see him having a, a pathway under Ten Hag. And during pre-season, the, the, I think the ex- expectation was that he was going to go out on loan. He got injured. That scuffed a loan move. So United are saddled with him, or Ten Hag is saddled with him until January and doesn't seem particularly inclined to, to give him a chance. What a transfer window when you put it like that. <laughs> uh, was it, were there boos at the end? It kind of difficult to... to um, there were there some boos. And, and is that just because the performance midweek was terrible? Uh, as you said, the last-minute goal um, from McTominay uh, against really a Nicosia team who weren't that good. And then it's nil all. So are the fans genuinely beginning to turn on the team a little bit or was it just a smattering? What was your take on that? It was it was quite as you say it was a smattering. I think the the loudest the boos were, um, were reserved for the referee, and the referee was bad, but he was not decisively bad. Looking at those penalty shouts yesterday, if anything, Callum Wilson had the strongest of the lot uh, when when Varane was quite clumsy in his challenge with, with him in the first half. Sancho took far too theatrical a tumble, um, even though there was some contact from Longstaff that you felt instinctively at the time that. Far wouldn't intervene just because of, of the way he, he threw himself to the ground. But as I said, you know, the, the, there was there was just element of frustration from United fans, and that they'd seen a, a pretty worthless game. It was a really poor game. There was not a light, not a lot to write home about whatsoever. And, and the referee didn't really help matters. There were a lot of stoppages. There was a lot of time wasting, and um, there wasn't a great deal of flow to the game. Whereas obviously at City yesterday, I think the the referee, despite the, the flashpoint with the disallowed goal, um, he seemed to get a fair few kudos for actually letting the game flow whilst and, and letting you know, over, overlooking challenges. So th- there's no real sign of, of United fans turning at the moment, and it's difficult to see that happening. Certainly before the World Cup starts as well. But these next two games are pretty pretty big to say the least, and that they can't lose too much ground on the teams in the top four. And I think at the start of kickoff yesterday, Tottenham were eight points ahead of them. It's obviously been trimmed a little bit, but if Tottenham win on Wednesday, that, that could have a you know, a profound impact on their season. The big game, obviously, the weekend was at Anfield yesterday, Liverpool's best performance of the season, Manchester City's first defeat of the season. Arsenal are now four points clear, which is saying such a shame that that game is not on Wednesday night and an opportunity for Arsenal to maybe really put some daylight between themselves and City. Is it just two very good teams yesterday in Liverpool edge Manchester City out or was there something Liverpool identified, do you think, from that game that maybe gives the rest hope when we've all been assuming that Erling Haaland will score 45 goals this season and City will win the league by 10 or 15 points? Maybe that just won't be the case. I mean, Liverpool have the hex over City at Anfield in the City have not won there with a capacity crowd since 2003. I mean, it was so long ago, Peter Schmeichel was in goal for them and 
uh, Gerard Julio would have still been the, the Liverpool manager. City won there during lockdown um, in, in the behind closed doors era. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. There's, there's just something about Anfield. And I think that was reflected in Guardiola's comments after the game when he was asked about the, the coins being tossed at him. And he said, oh, they, they miss me, but they, they got the bus a few years ago. I mean, City have got a, a big hang up about that night from the Champions League quarterfinals in 2018, where they had an extremely hostile uh, welcome uh, to put it mildly and it's it's just one of those grounds that they they can't seem to uh, to to really properly turn it on at i mean the game there last season was 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 a blistering game that that 2-2 both of them were uh, but i think really looking at liverpool yesterday it's it's amazing how much more however big these teams are they seem to revel more um, and, and they get more out of their players when they are the, the underdogs. Uh, you saw that with United against Liverpool uh, at home in, in August when United had been battered 4-0 by Brentford um, nine days earlier. And sometimes that's going to lift players. Uh, the, the crowd seemed a lot more up for it. And it's, I think the one takeaway from being present for behind closed doors games and then being present and having the privilege of you know, fans being allowed back in and seeing how players cope with it is that a crowd makes a hell of a lot of a difference. And a lot of players had good seasons in the behind closed door era because they prefer playing football without supporters present, which is not a reliable gauge of, of a footballer's quality. But I, I, there are still certain grounds when, when they turn it on that they, they can unnerve players and as, as, as I touched upon earlier, with, with a disallowed goal, I, I can see it from both sides. I think that the, the line tone that City went with afterwards about the referee letting things go, but then deciding that that was a foul, I think is a, is a valid point. But there is a tug from Haaland. And when you do slow it down, it does look always worse as well. And I think given the magnitude of the game and, and, and the rivalry that has brewed between those teams in the last five years, it would have been remiss of the officials not to have taken um, take, you know, taken the decision to overturn it at that point. I wonder if the letting it go is because of VAR as well, knowing that actually we can let the game flow, and if there is mm. something missed, if some if a tackle is more severe than the first look, they can have a look at the video afterwards and change their mind because. There was four or five fouls that actually, if a goal had come at the end of it, they probably would have had to have gone back and overturned it because the referee was letting everything go. And I, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, like Liverpool's home form, it is insane. Like there's never been a greater proof of the impact of a home crowd than the statistics around Liverpool. Like they haven't lost at home in front of a crowd in five and a half years. Palace beat them in April 2017. Yeah. Yeah. They lost six at home, six in a row at home during COVID when there was nobody there. Yeah. Six in a row. Yeah, well, that, that that's what I sensed at the time. I remember going to uh, cover United there and United got a nil-nil draw. And at the time you thought that was a decent point for United. And, and then after that, that's when all, that those sequence of defeats started and Burnley won there and City finally won there. Everton finally won there. I think Fulham won there as well. There were a lot of teams that went to Anfield who hadn't won there in decades and then they won. And it's not a coincidence that they won those games because... The, the the cop was was empty. Um, the, the stands were sparse, and I, I don't think you can underestimate that. And it's you know it's, it's something that Liverpool have obviously. Um, sometimes the crowd can be overplayed at Anfield. I've I've been there on occasions where it has been quite humdrum, but there are also occasions where it is the most atmospheric uh, ground in in England when it's when it's in it you know in its absolute element and. 
I think City, as I said, there, there has been a rivalry brewing there in, in recent years and there have been certain incidents that um, have not gone down well at all with uh, the City side of things. But it's it's still a ground that Liverpool seem to have the hex over them, certainly when, when supporters are present. Samuel, great stuff. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you again. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Whatever you grow, we'll save a bro.